much. Actually, two questions we're going to cover tonight. Let me turn this on first. All right, now can you hear me? Yeah. All right. Well, good evening. How's everyone? Good. Everyone made it? All right. Good. Um, yeah, so I'm going to use this uh, nice Andrews Study Bible. How many of you are doing the lessons to get the Andrews Study Bible? Anyone? Hey, good, good. All right. Yeah, so these are, these are nice. I don't know if you've, if you've looked through it or not. Probably not. It's been up here, but um, if you want to look through it, you can. And uh, if you're not doing the lessons and you would like to, to get this, please, you know, see David back there. He can, he can get those for you. But I'm going to use it for our question and answer uh, today. So um, one question that came in uh, yesterday was uh, concerning our presentation on Saturday evening about Jesus on faith and fitness. And the question was, uh, will we eat meat in heaven? And, uh, and so, you know, the, the Bible doesn't really say that we will or that we won't, but all we have to go on is what they ate in Eden. Now, I would think if they would, were going to eat meat in heaven, then uh, God would have given them permission when he created the earth, right? But he didn't give them permission to, create, or to eat meat in the Garden of Eden, and so I, would, I think it'd be a safe conclusion to say that we're not going to eat meat in, in heaven as well. Um, I just can't picture God uh, killing and murdering his, his uh, creation, uh, the, you know, the, the animals and things like that for us to enjoy to eat. Uh, I think heaven will have far many more things to eat up there than what we have down here. And uh, I, I believe that God has some wonderful things in store for us concerning the, the fruits and, uh, and things like that that we've never tasted before. So I'm looking forward to that. But we're going to talk a little bit more about what heaven will be like uh, Saturday morning or Saturday night. I can't remember. Um, it's not up on the, the thing yet. But anyway, Saturday morning, Saturday night. Anyways, the other question was, is uh, talking about the, the two greatest commandments. Surely, if you have been a Christian long enough, you have heard the, the, the thing that uh, they say, well, you know, we're not under the commandments anymore because Jesus narrowed it down to two. Now, we don't have the ten anymore, we just have two. And that's to love God with all of your, what? Heart, right? Love all, and then love your neighbor as yourself. That's right. And so let's look up that, uh, that Bible text there and, uh, and find out uh, what it exactly it's saying. And then uh, we'll look up what, uh, uh, an answer for that. All right, so that's in Matthew. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. All right, and so it says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And so they were trying to trap him here. They were trying to uh, get him to point out one law over the other. And then they would say, well, you're, you're saying that one is better than all the others. But Jesus was wise enough. And so this was his answer. It says, um, Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On This is the key right here of, in, of interpreting this. On these two commandments hang all the
the law and the prophets. Okay, so this is, the, this is how we, we answer this and how we understand this. A lot of people like to stop before this text or not explain this text. And so they say, you see, so we don't have to keep any of the Ten Commandments because we just, we just need to keep these two. Well, uh, look over in um, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. Fifth book of the Bible. Now, Deuteronomy, it's interesting because the word Deuteronomy means second giving of the law. And so if you read all through chapter 5, there is the Ten Commandments given again. It was given in Exodus 20, and it's also given in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But if you turn over to chapter 6 and look at verse 5, it says this. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Well, that's kind of interesting, right? Jesus was quoting from the Old Testament. He was quoting from a passage that was taken after the Ten Commandments were given, right after they were quoted even uh, in, the, in the previous chapter. Okay, and then, uh, then turn over to Leviticus. Uh, turn over to Leviticus chapter 19. I'll turn to your left there, right before Numbers. Leviticus 19 and verse 18. And so, some Christians would like to say, you know, Leviticus, we don't need the book of Leviticus because it's, it's only for the, for the Jews. It was for the Israelites. And so, you know, we're, all of that's done away with. But it's interesting that Jesus quotes from this, this uh, book as well. It says in verse 18, it says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children or the people, but, here it is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so Jesus was quoting from the Old Testament. And remember that text that we read in, in Matthew 22, verse 40, where it says, but on, all these hang, or, but on these two hang all the law and the prophets. And so really, the, those two commandments are a summarization of the ten. So the first four commandments have to do with loving God, and the last six have to do with loving your neighbor as yourself. And so the commandments are, are a love. And uh, in Romans 13.10, says, Love is the fulfilling of the law. So, uh, those two commandments are just the summarization of the ten. And uh, that way, Jesus couldn't get caught in picking one over the other. He was saying, they're not any one important than the other. They're all equally important. And this is what they have to do with. They have to do with love, if you summarize both of those, uh, both of those commandments. Uh, and if you summarize all of the Ten Commandments, they have to do with love. So, does that help? Does that answer the question? All right, good. Okay, well, let's uh, have a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the t chance to worship together, to open up your word, and to study. And Lord, as we study in the, the topic this evening of the Mark of the Beast, we ask that you would uh, give us clarity that you would give us understanding and give us wisdom. Lord, give us discernment. Help us to discern spiritual things and to um, just send your Holy Spirit to teach us, to be our teacher. Give me clarity of speech and of thought, and each of us give us a clear sense of what your will is for us this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So the mark of the beast. Many of you have been waiting for this topic, and uh, it's finally here, but I need to preface this message with an important fact, with an important message that everyone needs to hear and that everyone needs to remember. Because oftentimes when this message is presented, people will go home and they will tell their friends things that I never said because they misunderstood. Now, if you he hear what I'm about to say and you remember it, then you will not be able to do that. So that's why I, that's why I need you to pay attention here just for... If you're not going to pay attention all night, pay attention to this few seconds right here. And that is, uh, no one has the mark of the beast right now. Okay? No one has the mark of the beast right now. And the reason I'm saying this, it will make more sense when we get to the end of the message. But just remember, no one has the mark of the beast right now. Let's say it together. No one has the mark of the beast right now. Okay. Everybody got it? All right, good. Well, with the mark of the beast, you know, it's, it's pretty important. You don't, have to, uh, you, you don't have to look very far. You don't have to look very deep to, to, to realize that the mark of the beast is something pretty serious. And, uh, and so when Christians read about the mark of the beast in, in the book of Revelation, they say, oh, no, I don't want the mark of the beast. And then they try to figure out what it is. And so there's all, there's all different kinds of ideas of what the mark of the beast is. And, you know, it's, God isn't the type of, of God where he says, you know what, whatever you do, do not receive the mark of the beast. You don't want that. And if, if you learned anything on this earth, do not get the mark of the beast. Okay, God says that. But he doesn't say afterwards, good luck on trying to figure out what it is. I'm, gonna, you know, I'm not going to tell you what it is. Do you think we serve a God like that? No, God tells us what it is. We don't have to guess. We don't, and no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Okay, so we use the Bible to interpret itself. Okay, all right. So some people think that the mark of the beast is some strange tattoo or 666 on the forehead. Uh, some people think it's a barcode on the, on the forehead or some sort of identification number that's issued by some mastermind who desires to... Uh, take over the world. Some people think that it's a, a microchip that uh, about the size of the, the grain of, uh, of rice and uh, it goes into your hand, uh, gets impl implanted there. And so this is how people are buy and sell. They, if they have that little chip, then they can buy and sell. Uh, other people think that uh, it has to do with barcodes on packages at a grocery store. You know, they They've heard that Revelation 13 talks about the number of a beast. And so those who don't accept the mark of the beast are not able to buy or sell. And so they ask, is the mark of the beast a barcode on some uh, can of food or some label uh, on, on a package of food? And so some people, uh, when they check out at the checkout counter and the total comes to $6.66, they quickly grab something else, a piece of gum, and put it up there so that way they don't have to pay for the mark of the beast and get the mark of the beast by paying for something that's $6.66. But that's not what the mark of the beast is. And just if you paid for something that was $6.60 or $660 or $666, uh, you're, you're not going to get the mark of the beast. You don't have the mark of the beast. That's not what it's talking about. But let's look in Revelation 13 and just read the text to get uh, a little context here. Revelation 13, 16, and 17, it says, He causes all, both small and great, 
rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And so this leads us to a question. What is the mark of the beast and how do you describe it? So whatever the mark of the beast is, we can know that it's the opposite of the seal of God. Because at the end of time, there's only going to be two, two sets of people. There's going to be the saved and the lost. And those are identified by those who have the mark of the beast or those who have the seal of God. And so uh, we're, we're talking about an organization that, rises, that arises which has the mark or the sign of its authority. And so to understand the mark of the beast, we, we must first understand what God's sign is or what his seal, what his mark is. Because the devil cannot have, uh, he doesn't originate with anything. He always goes and he counterfeits uh, things. And so in order for there to be a counterfeit, there has to be a true. And the counterfeit is the mark of the beast. So the true is the seal of God. And so... The, the issues we're studying are, are very important, and they have to do with the final battle between good and evil on our planet. It is a crisis of global proportions. Here in Revelation 7, 2 and 3, it says, Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. On one hand, we have the mark of the beast, and on the other hand, we have the seal of the living God. So it goes, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our gods, where? On their foreheads. And so notice that the mark of the beast can be received in the forehead or on the hand. But God's people only receive his seal in their foreheads. So what is the difference? Well, the mark of the beast is a the mark of the beast in the forehead it indicates people that people have been deceived to choose the beast's way that he has got control over their mind. And so they have accepted falsehood rather than truth. The mark of the beast in the hand it indicates that they have been forced to do something against their will even if they don't intellectually believe it. They have yielded to the pressure, they have been coerced since God never forces us and only says whoever, whosoever will, God's people only receive their seal in the mind, in their mind there. And so they accept his sign freely. And, but what does the Bible mean when it, it says a sign or a seal? Well, look in Romans 4 verse 11. It says, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness. So in the Bible, a sign or a seal or a mark is, uh, is, this, is all the same thing. And where is God's seal found? In the forehead. And so it's also found in somewhere in the Bible. You guys want to know where that's at? No one wants to know? Okay, all right. So it's, it's found in God's legal document in His Ten Commandments, believe it or not. Isaiah 6, uh, sorry, Isaiah 8 16 says, seal the law among my disciples. 
And so what is God's seal? What is God's sign? What is his mark? Here it is in uh, Ezekiel 20, verse 12. Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a what? A sign between them and me. And so God's sign of loyalty is the seventh day Sabbath, which exalts God as creator of heaven and earth. The Sabbath, in other words, is God's sign. It's his seal and mark of authority. The, the Sabbath symbolizes worship of the God who created heaven and earth, the God who created you and me. It reveals our allegiance to our Creator. 666, it symbolizes man's rebellion in, cha in changing God's which is a sign, seal, or mark of authority. And so a royal seal contains three identifying features, which is the name, the title, and territory. Now, let me ask you this question. I'll give you a little illustration. Let's say uh, when you uh, went out to get the mail tomorrow, you find a letter in there, and that letter is, uh, it says it's from the President of the United States, and they're inviting you to the White House to, uh, to uh, have a, um, a dinner together, you know, as a part of uh, some special uh, celebration or some special ball that's going taking place at the White House and so they invited you to come now how would you know that that is the real letter from the White House how would you know that it was you know authentic had the seal on it right and but you know it can't be any seal it has to be the presidential seal and what would the presidential seal have in it it would say uh, it would say President Donald Trump, or sorry, Donald Trump, President of the United States. And so it would have his name. It would be Donald Trump. President would be his title of the United States would be the territory. Right? Does that make sense? Okay, so this a royal seal, it has these three identifying marks. God has a seal also. His seal contains three things and that make the documents legal. God said in Exodus 20 verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And so in the heart of God's law, God's Sabbath commandment authenticates the entire Ten Commandments. Look at it right there. It says, for in six days the Lord, there is his name, all capital letters, the Lord made, that is his title as creator, and then his office or his territory, uh, sorry, is the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and all that is in them. And so right in the Ten Commandments, specifically in the Fourth Commandment, we have those all three titles of what makes a seal. And so when the commandments say, thou shalt not kill, kill, uh, you say, well, why not? Why can't I kill? <laughs> I don't know why I keep pronouncing it like that. Kill. <laughs> uh, <w> <laughs> so why, uh, why can't I kill? Uh, you say, well, what do you mean? Uh, why can't I do that? And it says, well, why, you can't steal either. Well, you say, well, why can't I steal? Who says that? Specifically, the Lord is his name. Maker or creator is his title. Heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in there 
is his domain or his territory. So the Sabbath commandment, it contains God's name, his title, and his territory. It seals the law and makes it binding on all. The Sabbath commandment is the only commandment that lets us know which God gave them or us the Decalogue. What do I mean by that? Well, if you look through and you read through the Ten Commandments, it doesn't matter which version, whether it's Exodus or Deuteronomy, if you look through there and you read all of the Ten Commandments except the Fourth Commandment, okay? So you read nine of them. None of them will tell you which God is telling them the Ten Commandments, which God is asking them to obey these Ten Commandments and abide by these rules. So you can read, you know, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Well, who me? Okay, well, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Okay, well, what is the Lord's name, right? And uh, don't bow down before any graven images. Okay, why not? <laughs> and, uh, and then you keep going through, you know, honor your father and mother, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not uh, bear, bear false witness, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet. All of them, except for the fourth one, you can read and you will not find which God is speaking to you until you read the fourth commandment right in there is God's seal it is God's royal seal that lets us know who he who he is and uh, so there is no confusion about which God is telling us this it is the creator God the, the God who created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them amen all right and so Look at this also, Revelation 14, verse 7. Okay, back to our three angels' message. This is the first angel's message. And uh, it says, Saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship... Hey, wait a second. This sounds just like the, uh, the, the text we read in Exodus. Worship Him, okay, who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. And so again, we have the three things right there in the last warning message to the world. It says name uh, equals him, which is the Lord. Title is made. He's the creator. And then territory uh, is the heaven, earth, the sea, and springs of water. And so it's interesting is this one, this one adds something that the Exodus didn't have. It's the springs of water. And if you look where that came from, that's an allusion back to the flood uh, where it says that the springs of water sprung up, right? And so this is, a, this is saying that this is the creator of heaven and earth and the God of the flood. This is a call for mankind to come back to the creator God, to the God of the flood. It's a call to every person around the globe to worship Him on the Sabbath. It's a call to come back to Him as creator. It's a call to come back... Uh, to him to take his seal, the seal of God. And so that's why God says in Exodus 20, verse 20, Hallow my Sabbaths, and they will be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And so the Sabbath is God's sign of loyalty or faithfulness to the Creator. The Sabbath is God's mark. It is His symbol that we know that He is our Lord. And it is, his, it is a symbol that distinguishes us from everyone else around the world who may be worshiping another God. He is the Creator and we worship Him. And His domain is heaven and earth, the sea, and fountains of waters. 
And so the central issue regarding the mark of the beast is worship. The issues are true worship on the one hand and false worship on the other, which we talked a little bit about uh, last night, and who's going to enforce that? Uh, we're going to talk about that here in a second, but God will have a group of people on earth who worship Him as Creator and Lord by keeping all of His commandments. And if the Sabbath is a sign of worshiping the Creator, then what is the beast's sign or mark? Well, remember last night we talked about the, uh, who the beast was? Who was the beast? Say, Church of Rome. See, right? Not a person, but a, uh, a, an entity or a, uh, an organization, a hierarchy of, of rulership there. And so, what does the Catholic Church say then? Remember, it's the mark of the beast, and we d identified who the beast was uh, last night. So, what does the Roman Catholic Church claim uh, to, that is their sign of authority? And so, it's only fair that we look at what the church it says of itself, not what we would say about it. And so, notice what the Catholic Church says here from September 1 of 1923 says, Sunday is our mark of authority. They come right out and say it. They're not trying to hide it. It says, the church is above the Bible, and this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. Here's another one here. It says, of, this is from, uh, the, uh, from Chancellor Gibbons here in answer to a letter regarding the change of the Sabbath, November 11, 1995. It says, of course, the Catholic Church claims that the change was her act. And the act is a mark of her ecclesiastical power and authority in religious matters. And so they come, they're very bold. They come out and say it. They're not trying to hide it. This is from, the, uh, uh, this is from an abridgment of, in Catholic, Catholic doctrine here. It says, uh, the question is, how prove you that the church hath power to command feast holy days? Talking about the change of the Sabbath. It says, by the very act of changing the Sabbath into Sunday, which Protestants allow of, and therefore they fondly contradict themselves by keeping Sunday strictly and breaking most other feasts commanded by the same church. And so they're saying that, you know, if you're, keep, if you're keeping Sunday, then, and not keeping the other things that the Catholic Church uh, has instituted, then you're contradicting yourself. How, how prove you that? Because by keeping Sunday, they acknowledge power to ordain feasts and to command them under sin. And by not keeping the, the rest of the feasts by her commanded, they again deny in same power. And so they are, it's kind of a, a love-hate relationship, a pull close and push away. You know, many Christians will say that, uh, you know, I, I may worship on Sunday like they do, but I, I'm nothing like, you know, I, I don't bow down to images and, and things like that. Uh, I don't agree with many of the things the Catholic Church teaches, but yet they worship on Sunday, which was an institution of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, this is a, uh, in a doctrinal catechism. It says, question, have you any other way of proving that the church power to institute festivals of precept? Answer, says, had she not such power, she could not have done that, in which all modern religionists agree with her. She could not have substituted the observance of Sunday, the first day of the week, for the observance of Saturday, the seventh day. 
a change for which there is no scriptural authority. So they come right out and say it. They're very bold. They're not trying to hide anything. And so God's mark is his Sabbath. Ezekiel 20, 20, hallow my Sabbath, and they will be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. God's mark is the Sabbath. And the Roman church claims that its mark of its authority is worship on the first day of the week, Sunday. Now, here's a, a statement from uh, the um, uh, St. Catherine's uh, Church here. In the Sentinel, May 21, 1995, so not too long ago, it says, perhaps the boldest thing, the most revolutionary change the church ever did happened in the first century. The holy day, the Sabbath, was changed from Saturday to Sunday, not from any directions noted in the scriptures, but from the church's sense of its own power. People who think that scriptures should be the sole authority should logically become Seventh-day Adventists and keep Saturday holy. Well, I agree. <laughs> I agree with this. Bible-believing Christians ought to keep the Sabbath holy as the Bible teaches. Ladies and gentlemen, the question might be asked, and I want to make this very plain, is what about Bible-believing Christians that love Jesus and worship on the first day of the week? Do they have the mark of the beast? Well, here's what the Bible teaches. There are many Christians who love Jesus and do not understand the central issues that we've been talking about in this lecture series. They are faithful Christians. They are committed to the Lord. In their hearts, they want to serve Christ, but they do not fully understand that there is a church system that has changed God's law from Sabbath to Sunday. But friends, can God's law be changed? No. So they do not... They do understand that the church system claim, claims that the mark of its authority is, is to place tr tradition above the Bible. And before Jesus returns, he will make these things very clear to them to, and to all of mankind. Before the coming of Christ, every honest-hearted human or uh, man or woman, it doesn't matter, will have the opportunity to understand and to make a decision. The final issue of loyalty will be, the cent will be centered around worship. And many of us are facing a, a decision tonight as well. Many are facing a decision between truth and tradition. Facing the same decision that many others have faced in their journey with Jesus Christ. And so these decisions are about worship. They are about eternity. Truth was tainted and error came into the church. There's something called God's mark, God's seal, God's sign. It is the Sabbath. And there is a mark of another power, power uh, of the beast. And that is the first day of the week that claims tradition above Scripture. God is calling us from the mark of the Roman power. God is calling us back to the Bible. He's calling us to take a stand and to follow His truth. Here's an interesting uh, quote here from uh, Renko Stefanovich. He had a commentary on Revelation here. It's a pretty thick book. Uh, he does a, does a pretty good job. Actually, his um, commentary you can find in this Bible here. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that neat? 
So you, uh, much of the commentary that he has, not all of it, of course, that's more, this is more detailed, but uh, some, a lot of it is right there in the, the study Bible that you're studying for. Listen to what he says. It says, it appears that the first four commandments of the Decalogue in particular will become a test of loyalty to God in the final crisis. These four commandments concern one's relationship with God and worship. Okay, so there's a test of loyalty. He points out that the central issue in the final crisis is this test of loyalty to the first four commandments. And this test of loyalty, it demonstrates whether a person is loyal to God or to the beast and Satan. God allows Satan to set up his deceptions as a way to separate the tares from the wheat. And so let's uh, transition a little bit here and let's see how the beast, uh, beast and the earth beast, how they come together and how they uh, will enforce the mark of the beast. Okay? All right, so here we are, Revelation 13, verse 12. It says, And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes, meaning that's forcing or coercing, and the earth and those who dwell in it to worship who? The first beast. And so that word causes, it just sticks out like a sore thumb when I read it now. I just, I can't, I can't miss it. Uh, it, meaning force there. And so this is talking about breaking of the, first four, of the first commandment. Why? Because what does the first commandment say? That's right. Have no other gods before me. And this is telling us to worship another being. This is telling us to put God second and worship this beast. Worship this one instead of God. Worship the creature instead of the creator. Okay, so this is a force to break the first commandment. Revelation 13, verse 6, it says, Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Okay, and so this is talking about breaking of the second commandment. Because remember it says, Thou shalt not make any graven images, all right, or any carved images. And so this one is a direct attack on the second commandment beasts come together and they're causing people to break the second commandment uh, that has to do with images. Uh, talking about it again here, it says, He causes all and that no one may buy or sell except the one who has the name of the beast and, or the number of his name. This is actually the third commandment. Uh, the, and so the land beast, the, which is the United States government, and the sea beast, uh, which is the, the papacy, you know, they come together and they try to get people to take, uh, to break the third commandment, which has to do with God's name. And so God says, Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. And so here they're trying to get them to break this third commandment. And so they can only do this by uniting church and state together. Goes on to say, He causes all to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark. And remember what we just learned, that the mark of the beast is a counterfeit of the seal of God. And so trying to get people to break the fourth commandment by taking the mark of the beast. Revelation uh, 14, anyways, there's a, there will be more of these little tables uh, that you can get as we continue going because we're ver uh, chapter 13 now we're going to go into chapter 14 and see what it says so revelation 14 9 says if anyone worships the beast 
and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand. And so this is the third angel's message specifically. And so here in Revelation, are, these are the warnings of what will happen if they break the commandments. And it's interesting that it mentions the breaking of the first and the second and the fourth right there, worshiping the beast, his image, and receiving the mark uh, right there. Uh, here in verse 11 it says, And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast. There's the first one. And his image. There's the second one. And whoever receives the mark, there's the fourth of his name, is the third. All right? And so notice, though, it says that they have no rest. They have no rest day or night. And so it's interesting that those who break the Sabbath and they... Uh, and don't rest on the Sabbath, that they have no rest day or night, uh, according to this, to this passage here. All right, so there's another, another one, a couple more here. It's going to have all of it on there. So if you don't have your phone ready, you can have it ready by the next time. All right, so now we're moving into chapter 15. Okay, so first, it's, uh, chapter 13 said that they were going to force people to break these four commandments. Chapter 14 was a warning uh, not to break those uh, first four commandments. And then here is chapter 15 of what happens to those who don't break those first four commandments. And it says, And I saw something, uh, Revelation 15, 2, And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. And so these are the overcomers, right? All four commandments right, uh, were not broken. These are the overcomers of, of God. These are the ones who do not break God's commandments at the end. They have surrendered their lives to Jesus and allowed His grace to fill them. They've surrendered their lives to the one who has sacrificed His life for them. And they do not try to earn their salvation by works. They live the surrendered life life. Friends, I want to live a surrendered life. What about you? Amen. And so God gave them the victory. They don't wait till the last minute to give God permission to teach them how to live a life of surrender. They started long before the tribulation came. Friends, it's not there's no time to lose. We can't wait until a certain point when we need to start surrendering our lives to Christ. We need to surrender our life to Christ every day. Amen. And I, I pray that everyone starts here tonight. So when the tribulation came, they were ready to meet Jesus. And uh, they're living a life surrendered to Jesus. It starts today. Friends, will you do it? Will you surrender your life to Jesus today? Amen. And those who allow Him to change their life, they will and allow Him to change your wants and your desires, to change your will and your character to be like His, will be allowed to stand on the sea of glass, like it says up here, that surrounds God's throne, worshiping the Savior and King throughout eternity. And what day are we going to be worshiping the Savior and King throughout eternity that we're told in Scripture? Every Sabbath. Amen. Every Sabbath. We're going to be worshiping around His throne together. All right? I got one more after this one. So, uh, if you miss it, then you can get the, the last one there. I'll pause it on the last one. All right, so Revelation 15, verse 4. This is interesting uh, because, uh, well, let me just read it here. So it says, They sing the song of Moses, 
the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. And so what's interesting is that uh, this lets us know at least two important things from these two, two verses here from chapter 15. Is, uh, is that the Sabbath will be a major issue at the end of time and that they will worship God every Sabbath throughout eternity. Okay, so let's, uh, let's look here. These are, there's four allusions to the Sabbath. Okay, so we're going we're gonna, to uh, go deeper here. So it talked about the Song of Moses there in verse 2. Exodus 5, verse 5 says, And Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. And so they want, need to rest or Sabbath from their labors. All right, then Exodus 15, okay, when they actually come out of Egypt, it says in Exodus 15, 26, If you deal your God and do what is right in His sight, give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes. And so it's interesting that they're told to keep His commandments. But they weren't given the commandments until Exodus chapter 20. So this leads us to believe that they did before, but uh, for some reason they had kind of gotten away from it and forgotten it. Could have something to do with being in captivity for 400 years uh, to the Egyptians. Okay, so uh, Moses, went, uh, then in Exodus 16, the very next chapter, Moses, uh, is, uh, he reminded them of the Sabbath commandment, or actually God reminded them of the Sabbath commandment. And, uh, and so uh, whenever he, the manna came down from heaven, and they were not allowed to take any manna up on the Sabbath because manna didn't fall down. They had to take extra on Friday, right? And so God is reinstituting the Sabbath, or he's reminding them the Sabbath, getting them back to, to worship on the Sabbath, or rest on the Sabbath. And so... There is an allusion to the song of Moses as being a song of deliverance, a song of uh, being able to rest from all of their 400 years of labor. Okay, first Sabbath. And then uh, two and three, we get from the same passage here, of great and marvelous are your works. And so if you go to Psalm chapter 92, if you look at the very top of, uh, of the passages uh, of verse 1, so right between where it says Psalms 92 and right, uh, and right before it, it says uh, verse 1, right in there it says a Sabbath psalm or a song for the Sabbath. Okay, so Psalms 92 is a Sabbath song. So that's one illusion. And then the second illusion, or sorry, I should say the third illusion uh, total, but the second one in chapter 92 it says, O Lord, how great are your works. And so what are God's works? Yeah, His creation, okay? So this is alluding back to creation. Great and marvelous are His works, uh, His creation. This, remember, this is a Sabbath song, so it's talking about His creation here. And so the Sabbath is a time to reflect on our Creator and His Sabbath, or, and His creation, sorry, on the Sabbath. And, uh, and so this is alluding to the Sabbath uh, here. Is that clear? That makes sense? All right. And so then the last one, all nations come to worship before you in verse 3. Where do we get that from? Isaiah 66, 22 and 23. It says, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall 
descendants and your, your name remain, and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, here it is, all flesh shall come worship before me, says the Lord. And so again, this is another allusion to Sabbath because this text is talking specifically about the Sabbath. All right, so four allusions to the Sabbath. So let me ask you this then, what is the major issue at the end of time? The Sabbath. The Sabbath, that's right. And why? Well, this is interesting here. Sorry, it's a little blurry. I'm not sure why. Uh, the, the, the Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, the Sabbath is a sign of the Father. The very word Sabbath means a sign or seal of the Father. And so what happens to those who don't heed the warning in Revelation 14? And is that, uh, and particularly, particularly the fourth, what happens to those? Well, we're going to see right here in, in in six, uh, chapter 16, Revelation 16:10. Okay, we've already we went through this last Sabbath, and uh, let's see what this says. This then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongue because of their pain. And so this plague is poured out on the beast and his kingdom, and the, this is though for those who broke the first commandment. Right? You see that there? Uh, poured out on his throne and his kingdom, those who, who are following the beast, in other words. Okay, so this is what happens to those who break the, fir the first commandment. Revelation 16, verse 2 uh, is going to have uh, the second and the fourth commandment in here. It says, So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul, loathsome, loathsome sore came up uh, upon the men who had the mark of the beast, there's the fourth, and those who worshiped image there is the second one this is what happens uh, to those who break those commandments all right verses 8 and 9 says then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and power was given to scorch men with fire and men were scorched with great heat and they blasphemed the name of God who had power over these plagues and they did not repent and give him glory so this is what happens when those who break, uh, to those who break the third commandment. All four commandments. Remember chapter 13, we talked about uh, the two beasts coming together, the sea beast and the land beast coming together to force people to break the first four commandments. Then you had chapter 14 was a warning to not break those first four commandments. Then you had chapter 15 of what happened to those who did not break the first four commandments. And then chapter 16 here of what happens to those who break the first four commandments. And so there's too many things here to just throw it out the window and say, you know, you're just kind of coming up with that out of nowhere and this just doesn't make any sense. It's, there's no connections. There's too many connections here to just throw it out the window. Friends, the, the land beast, the sea beast, when they come together, they try to force these breaking, breaking of these first four commandments. And it's going to be easy <clears throat> for them in some ways because there's, <clears throat> excuse me, because there's a lot of people who are already breaking some of these first four commandments. There's, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a lot of people who are breaking the fourth commandment already, and so it's going to make it easy for them. And so it's important to make the decision now. <clears throat> Exodus 31, 13, and 17. Here's a couple more few more texts here. It says, You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come, so you may know that I am the Lord 
who makes you holy. And then verse 17, it will be a sign, again, between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Ezekiel 9, 3 and 4, hallow my Sabbaths, and they will be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. All right, so, but you may say, well, you know, it just kind of sounds a little legalistic and things like that, you know, just emphasizing the law. But look here in Revelation, or sorry, Romans 13, verse 10. It says that, that therefore the love is the fulfilling of the law. If love is the fulfilling of the law, then uh, love it should be the motivator for keeping the law. Amen? And when God lives in our hearts, then it will be a, the, the correct motivator. Here in Song, Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 8, verse 6, it says, Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm, for love is strong as death. And so God wants to put his seal on us, his seal of love. God is love, and his character is one of love. His law is a transcript of his character. And, and so then it would be safe to say that uh, we get seal what we get sealed on us is his perfect law of love, which is his character. Does that make sense? And so those in the last days who keep the Sabbath holy have his seal of love and his character on them. This is how others, uh, this is how others will know who we belong to. And I want others to know that I belong to the Creator God. Amen? And so some believe that it is the Holy Spirit that is the seal, right? You've probably heard this, that it's the Holy Spirit who is the seal. And so let's look at the two texts in the Bible that deal with that and talk about that. Uh, Ephesians 1, 13, it says, When you heard of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, uh, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Okay, so there it is. You say, and so they say, see right there, that says you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, it's not exactly what it says, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so let's look at a different translation. This is the Amplified Translation. It says, In Him you also the word of truth, the good news of your salvation, and as a result believed in Him, were stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. The one promised by Christ, in other words, as owned and protected by God. And so this, it's not sealed uh, with the Holy Spirit, it's sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's what this is saying. How do we know this? Well, let's just look at the other text that it talks about it in Ephesians. Chapter 4, verse 30, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And so who's the one that does the sealing? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that seals uh, God's character on us, God's character of love, God's law of love, namely the Sabbath uh, commandment there, seals that on us. And so this isn't just a, a, um, something that the Seventh-day Adventist Church came, came up with. Uh, this is not new truth. It might be new to you now, but I'm here to tell you that there's a Baptist minister uh, by the name of Thomas Tillman, or Tillam, in the mid-1600s, that wrote a book called the, the Sabbath, or sorry, the Seventh Day Sabbath, sought out and celebrated, and he brought out basically what I have presented to you this evening. And so this is a book you can get actually on Amazon. Uh, it was just reprinted here recently, and um, 
anyways, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. But uh, for, those of us who, for those who have surrendered to Jesus, they will receive the seal of God. God seals His people before the tribulation comes. No one has the mark of the beast now. Do you remember me saying that at the beginning? No one has the mark of the beast now. Let's say it again together so everybody is on the same page. No one has the mark of the beast now. Okay? So just because we talked about the difference between Sabbath and Sunday, and that uh, people who, are, who worship on Sunday, eventually, if they do not make a choice for the Sabbath, then they will end up getting the mark of the beast. But right now, that is not the case. God has, is give, going to give everyone an opportunity to make a decision. Everyone an opportunity to make a decision to stand for the Sabbath, to worship Him every Sabbath. Okay? All right, so just so we're all clear. But in every age, God has called men and women to take a stand. Truth wasn't popular in the days of Noah or Daniel, nor in the days of Jesus and the disciples. It wasn't easy to stand for truth. It wasn't easy to stand for truth for the Reformers. But God's faithful took a stand. In the last days, God invites His people to take a stand. God is calling you to take a stand. And if you know what God wants you to do, and you hesitate because it's unpopular, how can you expect to influence your family and friends for God's truth? If you are so weak, and you compromise, and you, uh, and you believe it, but you don't do it, what should they do? What will they do? But God is inviting you to take a stand. Jesus is inviting you to take a stand. The Holy Spirit is inviting you to take a stand. Friends, will you say to Jesus right now, Lord, I see the issues, the tradition on one side and the Bible on the other, the teaching of men on one side and the teaching of God on the other, Christ on this side and popular religious leaders on the other. I see the issue. It's more than a matter of days. It's a matter of masters and who we choose to serve. I hear the Creator God of the universe inviting me to take a stand and choose now. Choose Jesus. Friends, will you make that decision right now as we pray? Who would like to make that decision with me? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to come together to worship, to help us to understand this topic. Lord, you've seen those who've made a decision, those who've raised their hands. Lord, if there's anyone else who needs to make that decision, I pray that you would continue to, to uh, soften their hearts and to uh, continue working with them and helping them. But Lord, we just thank you for those who have. And uh, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.